welcome Alexa Briggs. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Help for Hip Dysplasia, today. Um, I'm Laura, Laura McGeary, your host, and we're really looking forward to getting to know Alexa a little bit more. Um, so Alexa, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome. Thank you. No problem at all. Been really looking forward to speaking with you. And um, if some of our listeners might know you a little bit more commonly as Alexa on the run. Um, some of you, I think, already follow her anyway. Um, so tell us a little bit about your Instagram, if you wouldn't mind. So you've obviously got an interest in running. Um, so where did that all start from? Yeah, so I mean, I've been running for donkey's years now. Um, I think I started running in my early 20s, kind of to get out of the house because I was having quite a stressful time at university at the time. And um, it sort of spiralled from there, really, doing um, 10Ks, half marathons, full marathons, then got into ultra running. Um, all the while, my hips were kind of grumbling away in the background <laughs> with varying sort of levels of volume. Um and it, unfortunately, it was during a 24-hour race that I first, like, my hip literally solidified and properly shouted at me for the first time. And that was the, the beginning of my journey towards getting my um, dysplasia diagnosis. Um, yeah. But alongside all of that, um, I managed to career change a few years ago now from working in IT as a project manager to qualifying as a running coach and setting up my own business as a, as a running coach and a sports massage therapist. Yeah, I saw um, you a sports massage therapist as well. That's fantastic. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And the two complement each other really well, I found. Like the anatomical knowledge that I've got from the sports massage definitely helps my coaching. And I think being able to watch how people move um, helps, you know, when I'm coaching helps the, the sports massage side of things as well. So it's, it's definitely useful to be able to get your hands on people and work with them in the clinic as, as I'm sure you know, as well as seeing them outside when they're moving around and, and, and kind of get more information. I think you get a better picture of, of people and how, how you can help them that way. Absolutely. Do you find that it kind of takes over in every aspect of your life that you'll be walking walking down the street and the person in front of you you're like oh I'm sure they've got knee pain because how much they're collapsing in or um yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like I was um I was in a pub beer garden at the weekend and um had exactly that conversation because somebody ran past with really quite unusual sort of head position which got me kind of thinking about, oh, I wonder if they suffer from headaches or, you know, kind of what their posture, what sort of job they have. I thought it's a desk job and they slumped over their computer. And blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just sit on the side of the road handing out business cards to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I always feel very wary about unsolicited advice, but there are some people yeah, that you're like, oh, could I just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, before, like I said, before you started getting the hip pain with all of your running, you said that you were doing um, ultra marathons you got up to and then a 24 hour race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, yeah, there were two, sort of two things that I particularly enjoy with, with ultra training. The, the long run has always been my, my favorite part. And even when I was training for road marathons, I was doing a lot of my running off road just because I preferred it. I, I, I preferred the route. And, and I just guess getting out in nature, the sort of the headspace and the peace that you get from running on the trails was a big part of the appeal for me. Um, so it almost became a little bit of a natural progression to looking at more trail races, trail marathons. And then you get kind of, I guess, with, with running, it's quite common to get drawn into the longer distances. 
um, I ended up doing quite a few events with the Long Distance Walkers Association because um, they allow walkers and runners to participate. The initial draw, admittedly, was because they're very cheap. <laughs> um, <laughs> but because, because you self-navigate, so they don't have marked courses. You have a route description and you need to know how to use a map and a compass. But I actually quite enjoy that, really. Um, so I've done a few of their events. And my, my long-term plan which I'm pretty, I pretty much had to let go of now, which is upsetting, but hey-ho, was to run the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc before, I'm, before I was 40. Uh, and I'm 37 now, and I'm pretty sure I'm never going to be running ultras again, which is a shame. Um, but as part of that, I was building my way up through various sort of point-scoring races, and, and one of them was this 24-hour this race that I entered um, and, yeah, unfortunately, at mile 60, really quite suddenly after not a huge amount of, of, you know, just hip stiffness and on-off minor pain for 10 years or so. The, the hip threw up the flag and, you know, the sort of white flag and went, no, I can't, can't do this anymore, mm. which was an interesting one because it was, it was the fittest I'd, I'd ever been. I felt really kind of on top form at the time. Mm. So mile 60, I mean, that's an incredible accomplishment for anybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. A diagnosis of hip dysplasia so um what happened mm. at mile 60 did you stop did you was it a, a bit of a sort of red light that to say i need to stop this race now or did you carry on and then sort of think i need to get checked well it was it was a, it was a looped course so five mile loops and you just kind of try to do as many as you can in the in the time limit so th there was a, a bit of like i have to actually get myself back to the back to the start finish line again because mm. otherwise I'm just going to be in the woods for the night um so very kind of um but it's quite a limped walk really for the last couple of miles back to the, the start finish line it was about three in the morning something like that and I went to see the on-site team of physiotherapists and, and sports massage therapists and the guy in charge just took one look at me and went no that's ridiculous you can't even walk or get on the couch so I think you should probably go home um which was a very good point and so yeah I think I think you should stop running now yeah okay <laughs> um, so yeah so uh, after that within a couple of days it felt pretty fine again if I'm if I'm honest but I thought oh, just as a precaution I'd go and see uh, my my usual physio um through him I got a referral to a specialist and got diagnosed with um femoral acetabular impingement not hip dysplasia at the time had keyhole surgery for that that didn't work um and then it was a few three years later down the line when things still weren't right and you know you just get that sense don't you of something's going on here and I'm not quite sure what and the physio that I was doing was helping a bit but kind of not really um and it was that point that I got I managed to get referred to another specialist that, that finally diagnosed the, the dysplasia. So you got diagnosed initially with the um, femoral acetabular impingement um how mm. did they diagnose that was that through um, an x-ray or an MRI how did they how did they come to that conclusion originally? Uh, the, the physio suspected it from doing a whole load of sort of range of motion tests and literally feeling the kind of cam um, that I had on the, the front of the, the femur. Um, but yeah, X-ray and MRI then to to diagnose it. Um, frayed labrum at that point. I suspect it's now torn, if I'm honest, um, and a grade two cartilage damage. Um, so had the cam removed three years ago now can't remember quite right um yeah and and the sort of the, the labrum repaired and, and the cartridge pinned back down but it didn't 
I returned to run maybe five or five months after that, but never managed to go beyond the occasional 5K without some sort of flare up. So within a few months, sort of gradually started thinking, I don't, something's not right here. So I um, kind of stopped my running again at that point, really, because I knew it wasn't, some, something was going a bit wrong. And then what, how long ago was it that you got your dysplasia diagnosis? Uh, probably almost exactly a year ago now, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, so not, not too long between then and, and getting in for surgery, to be honest. I had my surgery in February of this year. Of this year? Mm, did you yeah. have the PAO done? Yes. Yes. PA on my left side. Yeah. Okay, so um, so that was February of this year, so that's been sort of about what six, seven months, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how are you getting on? Yeah, it's been a little bit. No matter how much preparation you do, I don't think anything quite prepares you for surgery of that kind of magnitude. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And. so there were some aspects that I, I kind of, I, I, you know, I was quite well prepared. I felt like mentally I prepared quite well for maybe the initial sort of four to six weeks of real, you know, uh, challenge, I guess, in terms of the pain and the mobility and, and things like that and time in hospital and bits and pieces. Um, I think I've, try, I've, I've struggled because I'm a very, very goal driven person, which is great sometimes and not so great at other times mm. to allow myself either I don't know whether I'm it's better to have no goals or to set myself goals that I that may or may not actually work out with my recovery it's that element of unknown I think and the ups and downs that inevitably come in recovery which I know happen but when it's you I think it's very difficult to be objective about it and especially when you take a step back and uh, has mm. has a good level of understanding of what's going on in your own body so yeah it, it can be difficult to look at it objectively um I mm. think you know what mm. you want to be able to achieve and you kind of know how to get there as well but having mm. that, that that struggle to be like oh I want to be there and what why can't I get this now um can yeah. be really frustrating um so mm. I, I definitely mm. appreciate some frustrations that you've got there um definitely have that mm as well yeah yeah. um so where are you back with your mobility at the moment are you uh, you know back to back to walking have you tried running where are you with with that um yes I'm doing quite a bit of swimming um stuff on the turbo trainer um still weirdly have not plucked up the courage to actually go outdoors on my bike I don't know why I'm I'm inexplicably more terrified of falling off not that I've ever fallen off a bike so I'm not quite sure what's going on in my brain about that one um my mobility is is good um I've been building up the walking quite well. Um, the, the young puppy helps with that because we've been co- progressing our walk distances together, which has been really nice. <laughs> oh, um, so let's just interject very, very quickly to chat about the puppy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if any of you have seen um, Alexa's puppy on Instagram, but it is beautiful. Um, and that's your <laughs> golden retriever, I believe. What's, what's his name? Mm, yes. Yeah, her name's Jam. <laughs> Jam, did you say? Yeah, yeah, oh, jam, jam. I've been marmalade. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, go and check out the page, even just for that, and not even for all the running stuff. That's incredible as well. But <laughs> even, and see the pictures of this puppy. It's adorable. Um, anyway, back to the 
back to your rehab that you've been doing to, to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, the 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 walking's building up. I maybe sort of eight to ten thousand steps a day varies a little bit in the day. Um, at the moment, I'm back coaching again, um, building up my massage hours. Weirdly, found that massage was a more difficult thing to get back to than coaching, just because of the weird movements. You know, you're twisting and bending, and yeah, exactly, doing all sorts of different things. Um, yeah, range of motion in my joint is back, which is good. Um, strength is still a work in progress. I mean, it's a lot better than it was, you know, sort of six to eight weeks post-op, but mm. definitely not got symmetry from, from one side to the other yet, but, but getting there with it. Um, I need to take some videos or photos of, of, of Jam helping me with my strength training. She thinks it's great <laughs> from when I'm lying on the floor and doing exercises. So um, I have to try and get some photos of that without getting mugged for my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in, in terms of re return to run, I've not started running yet. Um, and the reason for that is I know that my glute strength isn't good enough to control my leg movement when I, when I run. If I'm walking for extended periods of time, I get that slight kind of in knee pain that for me and and sort of tightness on the inside of my ankle and inside of my calf which I know for me is a sign that my legs rotating inwards from that hip joint still um, and you know when I do things like one leg little small one leg knee bends in front of the mirror it still takes a lot for me to try and control that sort of sideways leg movement and sideways leg rotation um, so those are signs for me at the moment that I'm not strong enough to, to start running yet. And I think there's a massive thing um, to walking before you can run. I know it's a really old school. Mm. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people out there, whether they've had any of these hip surgeries or not, that think, oh, I'm going to start running now, but haven't spent the time getting the strength within their walking um, to hold themselves well. Yeah. And walking and eating yeah. and then starting to add impact um, and open yeah. movements to that. So, um, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for walking before you can run and doing all of the yeah. control work um, that it takes to avoid those injuries coming forwards. Like I said, let alone um, with somebody and some people that have had the surgeries that we have. Um, definitely, uh, definitely important to, to go through yes. that. Would you? Would you say that there are a couple of exercises through your rehab that have been the most clinically relevant or important for you or that have made you feel like you've made the most progress? Um, I think there's, there's maybe a, a couple of things. So for, for me, pre-surgery, I was doing quite a lot of work because I, my, my glutes, particularly on my left side, which has had kind of worse dysplasia, have been dysfunctional for quite some time. So I was trying to get them as strong as possible pre-op. So my, my line in the sand was the number of reps and sets of side-lying leg raises I could do with a two kilogram ankle weight oh, on my, my not-so-strong side. Um, so my progress on, on that particular exercise, um, and I've only made, I've, I've not been doing it, you know, straight away since, since the surgery, but as that's been added in as part of my sort of rehab, that's been a really nice one to sort of target, as it were. Um, 
and also variations on bridge pose so the numbers of different variations I could do now with them banded with the feet staggered with my feet up on a gym ball mm-hmm. um that 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 I'm getting my bridge pose is pretty much back to where it was pre-op oh, yeah. the, the side lying stuff not not quite yet because I think it's a little bit more challenging for those sort of lateral glute muscles um so yeah those are two that I've I've been looking at and time time on the bike actually time on the turbo trainer because my very goal driven nature likes likes to be able to tick that off if you see what I mean so what I'll do um, and what I'm hoping to do for um, anybody that comes on here that has had any of the surgeries is to make an overview of the the, the best tics, tips and tricks um, that they've found mm. and um, again pop them up on social media for people to be able to see examples of those exercises as well. So the sideline leg raises and the bridging variations um, are mm. brilliant ones um, that we haven't necessarily talked about yet so far. So adding to our list cool. of recommended exercises from our fellow PA warriors. So where do you see your rehab continuing now? Because a lot of people have some really good help and support um, in the first six months after their surgery. They tend to get um, rehabilitation through the NHS um, for those of you who are in the UK. Um, Different medical providers in different countries might have different systems, but over here we tend to have really good support in the first six months. Again, obviously you've got a lot of knowledge with the profession that you have, but is there any other support that you've been offered um, out there for continuing your rehab? Um, Not at the moment. The the physiotherapist who works um, at my GP surgery has been really, really good. Um, I initially kind of went there despite working at a physiotherapist clinic um, um, but it was too far away for me to be able to get to unfortunately post-op with the kind of help and support that I had available at the time so mm-hmm. but the physio that I've been seeing at my local um, GP practice has been absolutely amazing um, and has really like gone above and beyond to research into the surgery and, and find all the best sort of innovative ways to, to help um, so it's been a really enjoyable process and that that will continue. We've dropped to monthly appointments now um, and she's just focusing on almost just being my PT but making sure I'm doing it all properly, um, mm-hmm. which has been really, really useful. Um, I'm hoping I can continue to swap um, a little bit of ad hoc physiotherapy treatment with um, massages with my um, uh, colleagues at the clinic that I work at. Which is, um, <laughs> usually the sort of um, <laughs> usually how we how we work, and I have a couple of sports massage therapist friends who again I, I swap with, which is is really useful. So um, for those kind of hard to reach muscles that just get a bit overwhelmed sometimes when they're coming back to full strength again, that's been amazingly useful as well. Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. Do you um do you have any rehab goals? I know you said that you were um aiming to try to do this trek before you were forty, and you weren't sure whether that was necessary. Mm. Um, something that you were going to be able to do before you were forty now. But are there any other goals that you have um to build towards? You know, I'm finding that a really difficult one at the moment because. I mentioned because I am so goal driven and if I do pick something I will charge towards it um whether it's the right thing to do or not yes exactly (laughs) whether and and the temptation not to listen to my body becomes quite strong um 
I seemingly have quite a high pain threshold because I managed to run myself into quite a lot of soft tissue damage with literally without really noticing um, until it until it completely kind of flared up during that event. Um, so I'm 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 a little bit of an impasse with myself as to whether or not it's useful to set myself goals, particularly running related goals, because. To be honest with you, with my job, I love working with runners. I love the running community. I would almost give anything in order to be able to get back into running again. But in a way, last year, I kind of made my peace with myself that I wouldn't. Mm. And in a funny sort of way, I found that mentally easier to just not even bother thinking about it anymore. Just, right, I'm going to park it. I'm going to say I'm never going to run again and get over it and then... Sort of get over it, um, and then and then it's it's not something that I need to keep going over in my head anymore. Um, There's a really important message there. Um, I think for again anybody that's been through the surgery, and I've had these same discussions with myself um, mm. about you know things that you've been able to do pre-diagnosis and things that you are able to do post-diagnosis, and mm. you know there are some people who are managing to do incredible things after their surgeries. Um, there's the chap that was in episode one, um, Morton Thompson, who's had his mm. now doing um, an Ironman coming up um, later this month. Um, so mm. I wish him all best for that. Um, but it is so important to know that everybody is so different. Every surgery is so different. And, you know, every, everybody, even if you have the same surgery done that doesn't mean that your surgery is the same person the same as the next person every there are so many differences between each individual surgery um and it's important to take every individual into account so yeah we should uh, we should always try to do the best that we can for ourselves um yeah also yeah like exactly like you said listen to your body and know know what's good and bad for us when we shouldn't, shouldn't. Mm. um <laughs> yeah definitely definitely yeah. difficult um difficult uh, my experience this year i had um, a little bit of a meltdown um i signed up to do a marathon mm. and, um i'd i'd done the colchester half and managed to mm. manage to get through that i felt pretty broken by the end of it i'd been doing a lot of running training um and i'd set my sights on doing my first ever marathon and uh, mm. after the half i was in yeah a lot of a lot of pain I could barely walk and I just thought mm -hmm. I, this is something I need to park exactly as you said um and, yeah. and and withdraw from this year and it's not something I'm saying I will never do um I would mm. I would love to do that but I've got a lot more stability training to do for my hip before I can justify mm -hmm. doing a marathon without the the risk of injury I think yeah yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I used to, one of the clinics that I used to work at, they had a little poster in one of the treatment rooms saying, you have, if you don't listen to your body when it whispers, it says, get, we'll get to the point eventually where it will start to scream. And um, I, I think this whole process has been helping me slightly, gradually, get better at listening to the whispers because, yeah, it really helps, doesn't it, to make sure that you don't, don't push it too far. I think that's... An awesome phrase. I've just written that down. Actually, I'd uh, <laughs> that with your permission. Um, so yeah, the um, back to surgery. Um, so we've kind of Ooh. obviously 
had the surgery um, and about your rehab afterwards. But do you have any specific memories of when you were going through the surgery? Was there sort of any really positive moments or any moments of sadness that, again, it might be able to help somebody else learn from that might be going through it soon? Yeah, I think I, I'm in a way I'm I'm quite a sort of like organized tick list person so pre-op weirdly I didn't really get particularly nervous until the day before because I was channeling my energy into planning um and and maybe part of that's just down to my personality so I had like you know healthy meals in the freezer and I had a cleaner organized and I had like my parents booked in to come around and do stuff and I had it's funny we live in a very tall narrow house with lots of flights of stairs which is irritating so I'd worked out like the special sort of right kind of chair to be on the top floor and got like a bath board and a you know everything and anything I could think of from all the research that I've done kind of organized and people briefed and all of this sort of stuff so I think I probably just busied myself with all of that to try and distract my brain from you know the the, the reality of it I am an incredibly squeamish person so whilst I did a little bit of obviously reading up about what was involved I tried to limit that because I know that it wouldn't have been massively helpful for my kind of um psyche um I think in hospital I I coped with it better than I thought I would mainly because you're kind of quite drugged up and spaced out and I just <laughs> the sure. days just rolled on didn't they <laughs> like I was I was pretty chilled you know the kind of daily routine it all kind of whizzed by and um there were a few moments where you know things are quite tough and pretty painful but having having a couple of techniques just sort of that I've used um, I struggle a little bit with anxiety as well so I actually found a couple of the techniques that I used to try and calm down my anxious mind worked quite well for dealing with the pain so just you know distraction techniques or disassociation techniques or taking your brain away somewhere else that isn't where you are at the moment so for example I replay walks that I've done or runs that I've done where I'm outdoors somewhere beautiful somewhere peaceful so that's where I can take my brain off to um, and that worked quite well as a, as a technique for me because stuff does get you know painful and overwhelming and oh you know a bit much you know at various different points in the in the recovery Mm. Um, that's like a really useful technique so you, you when you were laying there in your hospital bed post-surgery you would visualize the start of the walk you'd visualize things that you'd yeah. seen on the walk yeah 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 literally try and kind of walk my way way around it so from you know opening the door and shutting it behind me to yeah which which route I would take and or what shoes I would put on and then which way I would go and what I, yeah, what I would see and would it be muddy, would it be raining, would it be sunny, you know, which bits would I get to, what, you know, would I see ducks on the river that day, all sorts of little, little details, um, just kind of think my way around things. Um, so I have seen that you um, have recently become a mental health champion, um, is that right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's, um, it's a scheme through um, UK Athletics, um, 
to help um, just support people with um, mental health um, challenges in, in the world of sort of running and athletics. So you can either do it through your running club or your running group. So I'm the, the mental health champion for Reading Roadrunners, my local running club that I also coach at. Um, and it's about being a bit of a point of contact, um, starting conversations with runners in the running club about mental health, um, just sharing information, um, particularly one of the pieces of work I'm doing at the moment is particularly people that might want to join the club for the first time, but potentially like me took about, it took me about four or five months, even though I was quite an experienced runner at the time to actually pluck up the courage to turn up. <laughs> um, so that's one of the things I'm asking the, 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 for my fellow runners and club members about at the moment. And I've had a really impressive response back for them. Actually, I asked the question on Monday this week um, via email on our club Facebook group. And I've got loads of responses back about how, we can, you know, improve the support that we give people that are interested in joining the club, um, that maybe come for their first couple of sessions, how we can make things easier for them, um, you know, making links with local um, mental health organisations in the community to provide people with more support when they need it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really kind of rewarding role so far, just increasing awareness and also how much sport activity and, and running can um, can help with with positive mental health, you know, regardless of or not, or whether you've got um, some sort of condition. Absolutely, and I think I think uh, there are so many people that go into running as an escape or a stress relief mm. or you know, something along those lines. And everybody's story will be so different, but I think it's incredible work that you're doing, and I think it relates to so many more people than are currently talking about it and I think exactly as you said the more that we can raise that awareness and um and make it an open topic of conversation for people then I think uh, exactly as we're trying to do with with this now and what we're doing um with the podcast is you know again just trying mm. to awareness and you know support people in how they're feeling with going through this process the same with what you're doing with your running club and I think it's absolutely incredible the work that you're doing so um Awesome, thank you. <laughs> You're and it's, I think it's an interesting aspect of the hip dysplasia journey as well. I, I posted on the sort of UK PAO group probably six, seven weeks after my surgery about how much the I think obviously there's the pain aspect to it, but there's also that I can't get out of the house without somebody being here to help because I have loads of stairs. Um, and also I can't do my usual sort of stress bucket reducing activities like getting outside and being active. And I was really struggling with those anxiety levels at the time. And a number of people kind of got in touch with me off the back of that saying, yeah, I'm exactly the same. This is this is a sort of a slightly unexpected element of the recovery. You perhaps think more about the physical side than the than the mental side so I think it's it well it's part and parcel of absolutely everything we do isn't it it's part of our overall health um but it's definitely an important part of the dysplasia journey as well I think and and even hopefully a few people hearing this might just be like oh, okay well maybe I need to consider that and you know maybe organizing yeah to have a few more social contacts or a little bit more help and support with with those bits yeah. around the house all those tips and tricks that you were saying about all that organization it does sound like you're a very organized person so you did have a lot <laughs> of, 
Um, but there would be, I'm sure, quite a few people out there that wouldn't have considered some of those things. So um, I hope mm. that that's uh, going to provide quite a lot of people with um, a few bits to tick off a list and frozen meals mm. and furniture rearranging. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I think that can really, really help a few people out there. So that's brilliant. Um, so I want to really thank you for coming on today. I really think it's been helpful and really informative and I hope that this will raise questions for other people. Um, if you do have any questions about anything you've heard from myself or Alexa today, please stick it in the comments or message me directly. Um, but for now, thank you so much, Alexa, for coming on and we'd really love to stay in contact with you. Please follow Alexa on her Instagram. Um, Alexa on the run for all her running advice and keeping up to date with her PAO progress. Thanks very much, Alexa. Thank you very much. And thanks for putting this podcast together. It's going to be amazingly useful for people on their dysplasia journey. I hope so. so thanks very much. We'll speak soon.